Hey, folks, this is your host, Dan Foytek. I just want to take a quick minute and remind you that this is the second to the last episode of season six of the Wicked Library. We are going to be taking a little break for the summertime coming back at you in September. But don't panic if you can't stand the idea of not getting your wicked stories during the summer break. I am actually going to be doing something called Wicked Unplugged. It's going to be a short story read just for our newsletter readers. So if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, head on over to thewickedlibrary.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be sending out a newsletter twice a month during the summertime. And in addition to some other really cool stuff, once a month, you will get a short Wicked story. And of course, we do have a sister podcast to the Wicked Library, another horror anthology podcast called The Lift. It is also a story podcast. And if you haven't checked it out yet, during the summer break would be a great time to sign up for The Lift over at iTunes or Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. You can go right to the website at victoriaslift.com. And there are seven more episodes of that show left for the season. And of course, we do have a huge back catalog over at thewickedlibrary.com. You can head on over there anytime you like or go through your iTunes or Stitcher, tune in and find some of the older episodes of the Wicked Library. They're all a lot of fun. If you haven't listened to the back catalog yet, summertime is a great time for you to catch up on seasons one through six. And now, without further ado, let's get wicked. The Wicked Library contains adult themes, adult situations, adult language, and graphic depictions of terror, bloodshed, the occasional possession, and your future trips to your psychiatrist, so he or she can assure you it's only a story. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. You've been warned, kiddies! (laughs) Hello, kiddies! Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Signed in triplicate, the keys went from an unsmiling lawyer to the surprised and happy face of a long-lost great-nephew. A thing of modern myth. Willed a home. December 1st, 1923. To my dearest, I still cannot believe my luck, Grace. I cannot wait to move you and the boys. Can you believe it? A property of our own. It needs work, I cannot fib, but once you see it, Grace, you'll be in love just as I am. Of that, I am certain. Everything is so fine. I feel like I have stepped into a wonderful fantasy, and I am in a ghost town model of the Plaza Hotel. Oh, darling, it is a beauty surpassing wonderful. There is even a tire swing in the backyard, 
and a creek running a short ways from the house. You will love it. We all will. If I could, I would thank my great-uncle Wilhelm, shake his hand beyond the grave. It really is more than we will ever need. However, we will have to work on filling the rooms with more children. It is a point I look forward to, second only to showing you our grand new home. Oh, darling. Oh, Grace, it is so large and so close to perfect. I know we will be happy forever. Love from afar, Winston. December 15th, 1923. Dear Mr. Hellestrom, I am in dire need of your services. I have mice, or rats, quite possibly something else, but I cannot find any signs. I need your expertise. If it is at all possible, I would appreciate a visit prior to Christmas. If not, have a Merry Christmas and a pleasant Eve of the New Year. I await your response. Winston P. Melville, Tattershed Home, West Winterbury. December 16th, 1923. To my dearest. Oh, my grace, how I have missed you. How are the boys? I cannot believe it has been so long already. Time is moving by quickly. Tattershed is more work than I expected. And the folks at West Winterbury are a cool lot. I hope that it is the sight of an unfamiliar face that is keeping the chill in the air and not something of reputation. Perhaps something of my deceased uncle. I should hope not. No matter. We will be happy here. My dear, I've been around now. The barn is in need of no more than a coat of red. We shall have ponies and horses. Perhaps goats for milking. Everything here is moving along. There have been a few bumps, but nothing that need worry you. I have sent along four small packages within a parcel. Three for the boys, and the one marked with a G is for you. Now, I know how you like to peek, my darling, my grace, but these are gifts for Christmas. If I have to wait, then so do you. I am looking at my gift now, imagining what might be under the brown paper. I hope you have the tree up. I will be with you all in spirit, but there is far much to do here. I am excited to the utmost for your arrival. I miss you all. Balding tires rolled over the cracked asphalt into the small town of Trudeau. A boy looked up to his parents from the back seat. It was exciting times. Nothing good had happened to the DuPonts in a long while. A drinking problem had cost Shelley her spot at the high school, and Russ's position at the library hardly earned enough to keep the wolves outside from breaking down the door. Justin wasn't much better. He had fights at school, mostly since his mother lost her job. It was good to start over. We're going to have the entire home to ourselves. Imagine that, Justy, said Russ. Is it bigger than the apartment? asked Justin. The boy was born in the summer of 1984, and in the year 1992, the family was on their way to their first house. No more sharing walls, ceilings, and floors with loud strangers. An entire home to themselves. Oh, you just wait. I had a look. It's bigger than the apartment. 
Bigger than just about any house I've seen in my whole life. Bigger than the Queen's house? asked Justin. His voice was high along with his excitement. Starting over was going to be good. Likely cost like the Queen's castle. Probably just have to sell the whole lot and move into another apartment. Unless, of course, librarian jobs pay a hell of a lot better here, said Shelley. She'd been dry for six weeks, and it was hard on the family. Almost as hard as her drunken days. I don't know about that, Justy. Russ looked over his shoulder to see his son's vibrating head. The car needed work. The regular upkeep, plus some. Shocks, the engine had a knock, and the transmission slipped whenever the road dipped too far. Rusty said silent prayers now and then over the eight-hour drive. It would be a modern miracle even to make it to the new home. So, are we just going to run home whenever this place is trashed inside? Asked Shelley, not caring for the lack of acknowledgement. Honey, can we just start this place happy? It's great. Dusty needs a little work, but it's sound, and the lawyer said the valuation is somewhere near 400 big ones. Imagine that. We'll feel like royalty. Justin's smile widened in the back seat. He'd grown to question everything his mother said. Anyway, if it's hard at first, we'll take out a loan against the home. Rates as bad as they... Shelley laughed, killing the conversation. January 4, 1924. Mr. Hellestrom, I do not understand your reluctance. What do you mean you'll send back my correspondence? That... You will not have this poison under your roof. What am I to think of such a thing? You are a man with a good reputation. It is said you can trap any sort of vermin. I do not understand. You say no, but is it not your profession? I have vermin and I have money. It is how our world works. I shall say this is very confusing when you say you will not set foot in Tattershed home. My uncle is gone. His crimes are his. Transfer perhaps to the son, but I am not his son, and I do not inherit his sins. The animals get more and more lively with each passing day. At times, when I am halfway under sleep, the animals are so very loud that I imagine they call me by name. I need your professional assistance. And I shall pay whatever the fee. Please, Mr. Hellestrom. Winston P. Melville, Tattershed Home, West Winterbury. January 7, 1924. To my dearest, I miss you all. I dream of you all. But something about the way the wind whips through the cracks and the wildlife beyond the walls rustle and spoil all of my sleeps. Oh, the poison in my dreams, my dearest Grace. Tattershed is trying. With every repair I make, I find more work needing done. I do not like to speak ill of the dead, but I do believe my uncle did not care for his property. It is saddening. But this place will be ready for your arrival at the first sign of spring, despite the reluctance of any of the locals to help. I miss you all, and I am happy to read that the boys love the trucks. Tell Roderick he can paint it any color he likes. Love from afar, Winston. 
January 20, 1924. Mr. Hellestrom, reluctance is one thing, but you need not turn to childish name-calling. I shall keep these returned letters as proof of your absurdity. I do not know what my uncle did to you, but suggesting I burn down my house was uncalled for. Truly childish. No matter. I have decided to seek the vermin on my own. It is dirty work. Of that you know. But I don't suspect a great need for intelligence. From what I can see in your responses, you are greatly lacking in intelligence. It gives me faith in my abilities. Winston P. Melville, Tattershed Home, West Winterbury. Each picked a room. There were nine bedrooms in total. Tattershed Home was indeed fit for what the DuPonts imagined of royalty. Ross and Shelley shared the largest of the bedrooms, but each picked a secondary room, a place to seek seclusion. Justin found a room with walls of books on every side, wardrobes full of dated clothing, costumes for his imagination. It was the dead uncle's space. Justin loved his new room, loved the long red drapes, the heavy wooden wardrobe, and the soft bed, large enough to sleep twelve of his frame. The room had a voice. It called out. It was smooth and soft. It drew a smile about Justin's face. He cleaned away cobwebs, unpacked his things, and began his new life. We can live off the antiques alone, said Shelley. Ha, we'll make a mint, and then we can pawn this drafty hole off to people who like all this outdoorsy crap. I mean, how far are we from a mall? Russ didn't answer. In Trudeau, there was a small hardware store and a diner, but no mall. It was fine for him. Doesn't matter. We'll be able to afford a condo once we piece all these things out and then sell the house. Shelley seemed genuinely happy. She hadn't considered the view the court might take if she tried to force Russ to sell anything. There wouldn't be much to say. A drunkard with a history of infidelity and a bad attitude on top of it all. Her actions were his safety net. We'll wait and see how everything... Russ paused. He heard a scratching somewhere below the top floor. The sound traveled through an iron vent cover one likely quite valuable to the eye of Shelley's greed. Mice, I think. Little buggers probably chewed holes in priceless heirlooms, said Shelley. She lowered the brass lamp in her hand. We should make sure. I bet there are traps to set. We find them and then set them near the noises. He smiled wide. To the kitchen! Shelley shook her head, but couldn't help but smile back. Occasionally, she recalled the playful man she'd married. She led the way, and Russ stopped for a moment and popped his head into his son's new room. Hey, Justy, we're going mouse hunting. Want to come? Justin lifted his head from a leather book of loose papers. No, I think I'll stay. I found this thing. It's got letters about the house, I think, said Justin. The idea that a dead man wrote everything in those pages enthralled him. February 14, 1924 To my grace, my dearest 
This place is really getting to me. I wish you were here. I am imagining things. I, I think it is the torment of the loneliness. I've been in search for the vermin for days, and have captured a goodly sum of mice and two rats. But the sound continues. I imagine it is voices. They speak my name. They beg me to come and join them. Join us, Winston. Join us. Join them where? Come, Winston. Come, they say. And why, my dearest, I do not know. It is driving me to fever. I know once you arrive, you will at once clear my ills, and this will pass. I can hardly wait. Your love from afar, Winston. February 29, 1924. To my loving grace. I know that you shall receive this much later, but happy leap day. I am not happy. For myself, without you, I feel helpless. Like a child afraid of the shadows in his closet. The animals speak, and I cannot keep them from my mind. I had quit my search early in February, thinking perhaps it was all part of my imagination, but they do not cease. And the vermin hunter refuses to visit and calls Tattashed home the Devil's Pitch. He is but a simple bumpkin, but I do wish he'd come and settle my mind one way or the other. I feel my face cool, wondering if my fingers aren't aflame. I have called for a doctor, but my request has been refused. I have never heard of such a thing. My uncle must have been a true monster to these simple minds. The doctor has agreed to meet me in the church, all the way in West Winterbury. If I am not better by next week, I shall go. I hear them still. Come, Winston. Come. Join us. Winston. Please. What choice do I have? I love and miss you all. Your love from afar. Winston. The basement was cool and dark. The walls of fat whitewashed stone surrounded the vast space littered with boxes. The sound was stronger there, and Russ and Shelley set about placing traps. Shelley occasionally peeked into a box to mentally tally and log value within. Some of the items dated to one in two hundred years earlier. The greed in her blood boiled readily. Russ found boxes of old almanacs and newspapers. The scratching and picking started to sound like voices to both sets of the human ears. Neither questioned the idea. Let it lull and spin within their minds. They continued to investigate the belongings of others, belongings of those long and recently dead. Russ drank in the history of the old town, of the country long before it was a country. Shelley blew dust from doilies, using rags to wipe dust and grime. Both inched toward the command of the quiet voice within their heads. Justin sat reading. March 25, 1924. 
Grace, my dearest love, I pray to Jesus that this reaches you in time. You must not come to Tattashed home. Hellstrom was right. This place is of demons. More than voices. If I thought it would help, I would set fire to the whole lot. I sought the doctor at the side of a preacher. Both addressed me with sad eyes and hushed voices. I explained my ills, and they shook their heads. Devils, they agreed. Tattershed home was the closest point on earth to Satan's gate. I didn't believe them, but I knew that Tattershed had something of a bad nature. I invited them back to assist me under the ploy that we might do God's work, close all gates to hell. The preacher, a man named Jacob, he could not deny it was his calling in life, soldier of God. The doctor, a tiny man with a clubbed foot named Mortimer, took an oath to save lives. And I had my team against the vermin and my insanity. Pistols and Bibles. Jacob carried a crucifix, wore a robe of gold gilding, a patchwork of religious symbols woven within. Once back at Tattashed home, we listened to silence, and my heart fell. I knew I must be insane. Those noises within my head. Oh, how I missed you at that moment. The floor shook, and we adjusted. I looked to the men. They felt it. I was not insane. I felt a brief bout of euphoria, but it waned. The problem was bigger than my mind. Floor shaking. The voices screamed into our minds, Join us. Come. Join us. Forever. A wind blew through the hallways up from the basement. A crucifix led the way against that welcoming wind. Jacob held tight behind his religion. There was a blinding light, but it beckoned. Do you understand? It wanted us to continue. The winds in our faces were a backdraft from flame. The lights much the same. But oh, so much brighter. My skin felt ready to peel, but we forged on welcoming the glow and heat. Down the stairs, I looked about a room so bright, seeing corners I had never seen. Jacob yelled. Mortimer agreed with a nod. I didn't hear what was said, but I followed. The light shot from around a rectangular crack in the door. They led, and I followed. The wind ceased for no reason at all, it seemed. The voice bellowed, asked our origin. Jacob named the Lord, and the voice laughed. It laughed, and I felt the contents of my stomach swirl. My dearest, what is the beast that can laugh at God? Jacob felt around the shining gap and pulled open a hidden trap door. The light dimmed to an orange glow, and they stepped down. I slowed, but followed. I knew we were all scared, and it was a proof of bravery, a man's burden. 
I shivered, but I stepped down the stairs. It was another room, glittering with unorthodox religious trinkets and keepsakes, large and small. The walls surrounding the pulpit and pews banked and bounced the glow like diamonds. Above all, an anagram carved into the chest of our Lord, blood alive and running like tears from the eyes of the statue. It was the source of the light, my grace. The tears of God shines a demon's sun. The image infuriated Jacob, and he rushed forward with his little crucifix. But at what I could not see, he showed his faith and pushed unknowing. The thing that stepped out from behind the pulpit had the shape of a man, a fat leather volume at hand. But he was not a man. His eyes shone black light, impossible black light, voids. Grace, I shall never be the same. Those beams of black set fire to Jacob's flesh. Flames licked away his layers as if he were nothing but iced cream in the hand of a child. Mortimer limped forward and fired his pistol five times. Each hole gave a new source of black beams. Fire jumped about his flesh. He spun, attempting to run back to the stairs. I watched as his face dripped away from his skull, screaming man-candle. Oh, Grace, do not think less of me. But I ran. I ran and slammed the door behind me. I heard Mortimer crash and bang on the far side. I stood firm. I could not look upon his singed and bubbling flesh. Not again. The banging ceased. I pulled boxes over the door and ran to my office. I am writing this to tell you to stay away. I am coming home. I shall leave close behind this letter. I pray to God in heaven that you haven't left by the time this reaches you. My dearest Grace, please do not come to Tattershed home. Winston. Justin read the collection of letters his heart dropping. It was the scariest thing he'd ever read. He shot to his feet. Dad! He ran to the basement. He needed a hug. Had to show his father, avid reader, lover of histories and books. Dad! Down here, Justy. Justin slowed and read as he walked toward the doorway. March 22, 1924. My Winston... I am sick to death reading of your illness. We shall leave early and detour the route briefly to visit my mother. She would never let me rest, should we not? We love and miss you, Winston. I will love you until the end of time and nurse you through this trying time. We should arrive on the 26th or 27th. We cannot wait to see you. Your love forever, Grace. Justin read an installment written on the fixed sheet rather than paste it to the page, as the letters had been, and continued to walk. April 8, 1924 
I returned from my empty loving rooms in Toronto to Tattershed home, willing my grace and my boys to be elsewhere. It was not so. I saw their luggage. I called out to no avail. I checked every room, unwilling to face the possibility. It was empty. My heart felt ready to burst. I stepped into the basement. The boxes were moved, and there was little Roderick's double-coated truck, the one I'd purchased for him at Christmas. What are you reading? asked Russ. The wind swished and flowed, warm, gentle, calling in a voice so low, so soothing, none dared to acknowledge. Come, join us. This book, it's letters and stuff. It's about this house, about Tattershed Home. It says, Justin started excitedly as he ran down the steps into the basement. Holy, look at this, religious antiques. Come, come, Shelley yelled. Half of her body rose above the trap door, but sunk back down. An orange glow surrounded her. No, Mom, this book said bad stuff about the house, and come on, Justy, it's just a book. Join us, said Russ, taking Justin's hand and leading him to the trap door. Just a story. It's fine. Old houses always have things like this. You promise? Promise, Justy. Russ pulled Justin along and let him slip into the sub-basement, and then followed. This is quite a house, huh? Russ asked. The trap door fell closed behind them. Stay tuned for a short Q&A with the author in just a moment. Today's episode featured a story by S.L. Dixon, Tattershed Home. If you'd like more information about the author and his work, you can find him online at sldixon.ca and on Twitter at sldixonwriter. Artwork for today's show was created by Stephen Matico. You can find more information on Steve and his work over at wideeyedotter.com and follow him on Twitter at S underscore Matico. Musical score for today's show was provided by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. Don't forget to visit our sponsors and friends of the show like Stigmata Studios, HorrorMade.com, Shadows at the Door, Cathedral Sounds, Sanitarium Press, and Rickert Beagle Books. You can find links to their websites in the show notes for today's episode. Please share the terror share the show and help us grow the best support you can give us is to rate us and write a short review of the show in itunes leaving a rating and a short review is totally free and it means a lot to us you can do that at itunes.thewickedlibrary.com follow us on twitter at wicked library find us on facebook and subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher TuneIn radio google play we are now everywhere Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to get great prizes, bonus content, and a story a month during our break for the summertime. Sign up at thewickedlibrary.com. And now, S.L. Dixon. 
So today my guest is Sean, or as uh, he goes by for writing, S.L. Dixon, and we are talking about your story that we just did for the show, Tattershed Home, which was a lot of fun. Uh, really cool story. And uh, I did have some some questions for you about kind of where all that came from. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, it, it's an interesting story because you don't often see stories where the action takes place in different time periods. So the, the cool thing and the reason that I really wanted to do the story is I thought it was kind of unique because I think we've all read the stories before where it's just a series of letters, which is I've always thought kind of a clever way to tell a story. But you also intersperse in there kind of a modern day tale. So you're, you're really dealing, I guess, with three different time periods because you have your your main character in the letters showing up, taking over the, you know, the ancestral home or the, the, the willed home, I guess. And so you're dealing with what happened originally whenever the original owner owned the home. And then you have the letters. So you're starting, the reader starts to know a little more about what's going on. And I thought it was kind of clever when you get to the point where, you know, the young boy is actually reading the letters and that's basically, you know, how the story is being told. It's kind of interspersed between the two. So was that kind of your first vision for it or, or did it come and develop in a different way in the beginning? Um, well, originally, I guess I, uh, I had an idea kind of with the letters in the old home. Um, and then it just, it, it just played out the way it, it played out. Uh, so that was pretty much there from the first draft then. That's pretty cool. Well, I, I wouldn't say that like the first draft, uh, came along and I had no real plan of how it was going to end. And then it, and it came together for me. <laughs> It's always cool when that happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think is the story usually turns out better if it's you know a natural progression rather than kind of a, a, a plotted scheme of, of sorts. Yeah, you know I find that a lot of times with short stories. Now, I mean, sometimes I'll find that the ending comes to me and it's kind of like a mystery as to how do you get there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's that natural progression. I think you're right, especially in a short story that you know it, it has to feel almost like you're along for the ride and it's developing organically. Yeah. It's, I don't know. And then when you get there, it's always a bit of a, a fun surprise. So do you, uh, do you find that you mostly write short stories? Are you writing, have you written some long work or working on any longer works? Um, well, I, I actually kind of have to force myself to write more short stories than I've, I've, uh, pretty much committed myself to writing here. I, I live out, uh, kind of in a, in a place without too many opportunities, um, so I, I pretty much spend uh, all day, every day writing. And, uh, so I, I have to focus a bit on, on short stories because the process with long stories is, is a really long process and, and yeah. you don't really get much out there. You write a manuscript, rewrite it a few times and send it off for six months or eight months. And then either it goes out or it comes back to you. So with short stories, it's a lot quicker. Which do you enjoy more in terms of sitting down to write? When I first started a few years ago, I really, I really liked the short story more because it was, it was easier for me to sit down and write, say, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 words over, over a sitting or two. Mm -hmm. And whereas now I kind of, I kind of prefer sitting down writing and then having it stew for the rest of the day. And then I sit down and write again and, and, and it just keeps going until finally the big, the big reveal finally kicks in and I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But uh, as far as the short stories go, I do I do enjoy them. It's just um, I don't know. There's a, a lot more to offer with uh, characters and a, a really long work. Yeah, 
you get to explore a little bit more and uh, really get to know those characters. Yeah. And with short stories, I find that's the first thing I trim um, is, is the development that's unnecessary to know for the short story. Yeah. We have heard people describe short stories as a really good joke. You know, it's, it's obviously longer than that, but there, it usually has a punch and it has that one kind of overall feeling that sticks with you after the story's gone. Yeah. Whether, whether the story, um, I find even, even if the story doesn't seem to have much going for it the whole time, as long as, as long as you get that punchline in at the end, yeah. I can really save a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I mean, it, you do kind of feel cheated if you you get to the end of the story and you're like, Whoa, what, what, what? Yeah, it's it's like that's it, you know. But uh, if if you can come up with a, a good ending or a good beginning, the the middle might might trail along, even if you know the rest of it hasn't worked out. So, or you might just have to throw it away. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you just have to decide that that's that one was just for you. Yeah, yeah, that was an exercise. So, what brought you into the into the world of writing? Um, I mean. It's it's a hard job, uh, you know. Folks that enjoy listening and reading short stories and longer works, I think, don't always understand how much goes into actually sitting down and writing. And it's it's not just like it just pours forth most of the time. Yeah, it, it definitely takes some some effort before anything starts really pouring forth like that. Uh, right. As far as how I, I got into it, um, in high school I, I'd read quite a bit, uh, and then I. I went to college for print journalism uh-huh. and uh, after, after dabbling very, very briefly in that Avenue, I, I didn't really like it and, and, and just went about, you know, different jobs here or there. Yeah. Tons of different jobs. And then uh, one day I was, I was, I moved around quite a bit with my wife um, and I was living in Saskatchewan. It's kind of a, a barren place uh-huh. up here in Canada. And, uh, I was driving uh, a few hours to visit a friend. I think it was more like seven hours than a few hours. But uh, and then I got an idea for a story, and it took me when I got home. Um, it took me a few months to get down this like forty thousand words of absolute crap. But <laughs> but I got it down, and and that's kind of all where it started. And then I got really into um, you know just just working through my own kinks which yeah. there were a, a stupid amount, but I, I'm starting to figure it out now. I think. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always growing. You know, that's, that's the neat thing about it is uh, the writer that you are today is definitely not the writer that you were two years ago. And I think that continues to be the case for everybody. Hopefully if you're doing it right. Yeah. Even, even if you eventually hit some kind of peak, there's always somewhere else that you can go. That's, that's kind of the beauty of it. Right. Right. So you you do uh, do you write mostly horror or do you write in other genres as well it, or is horror kind of your go to? Horror is kind of my natural my natural I don't know state. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I have written some dark non horror fiction and then a little bit of science fiction and some some fantasy and a little bit of humor. The humor it seems. Um, Rarely does anybody but myself find it all that funny. So I guess maybe I should just <laughs> leave that off to, you know, <laughs> some other people. But uh, I, I try different things because there's only so many markets. And, yeah. you know, although I'm never I'm never surprised when uh, uh, one of my non-horror stories comes back really quickly and says, no, thanks. Yeah. If I've sent it out somewhere. It's interesting how that happens. I mean, 
I, I've talked to quite a few different authors that are like, well, you know, I didn't actually even know that I was a horror writer until I just started writing. And I was like, huh, everything I write is kind of dark. Yeah. Yeah. It it can sometimes, you know, you basically just write what the story tells you to write. And it's uh, it's interesting what we gravitate toward. Now, when you're reading, obviously, you have to fill the well. Uh, what do you like to read? Are there are are, do you read mainly the horror genre? Or do you find yourself, you know, exploring nonfiction? And I um, I read mostly fiction, um, but it isn't just horror at all. Uh, I read I read lots of different stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just because even horror books, if if I find the the best place for actually inspiration is is whatever I'm reading. And and horror books kind of have the horror aspect of it built in by nature. Whereas, right. say, if I'm reading something literary and I get an idea of where a story might be going, even though it'll never go that way because it's not a horror book, right. that's that's something I might be able to uh, work from uh, in my own story somewhere along the lines if it ever comes back to me. But uh, I also enjoy, you know, a good humor story or just a coming of age story or love story, all those things, you know. Not not so much in the erotic fiction, but who knows where I might go in the future. Right. <laughs> and, and you're right. It's interesting because I, I find myself doing that, too, whenever I'm reading something that's literary and it's definitely not horror. Uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, what if this happened? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the that's probably the, the, the earmark of a horror writer is anytime we w- we're watching something that's not horror, we're like, but now what's going to happen? Right. Yeah, that's actually uh, I have a. Um a book that's coming out this month um, as, as I break into shill here, uh, <laughs> I have a book coming out this month, uh, a novel that um, I sent it out uh, of several places and it came back um, a couple times that, you know, um, that the, the reader thought uh, it sounded like Stephen King's it. And when I'd written this, I'd never actually read Stephen King's it yet. And I hadn't seen the, uh, the television production. And where I'd actually gotten the idea was uh, I was watching the Goonies. And uh, I thought to myself, what if One-Eyed Willie, One-Eyed Willie, when they got there, was still, you know, alive? And he was kind of, you know, like a mean old pirate. And then right. it just turned into this this funny story about a an evil furniture factory. Uh, uh, I grew up in a town with a furniture factory. So I basically just wrote my, uh, my childhood <laughs> town into a nice. horror story about about a demon living below the surface. And uh, so it's it's really horror stuff. If, if you're getting all your inspiration from horror stuff, it's going to look a lot like somebody else's work. But Yeah, that bastard Stephen King, I'll tell you. I mean, he has written everything. I mean, that's, you know, you can never feel bad if you're like, hey, that sounds like Stephen King such and yeah. such. Because, I mean, with that much work out there, as prolific as he is, He's even started to sound like himself sometimes, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's funny. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you're definitely right there. So what is your, uh, your favorite thing that you've read in the last year? Do you have like a, a favorite piece of fiction that you've read in the last year that you can recommend? Well, I was, I was, uh, I decided to write a, um, a haunted house story kind of thing. And I, and I got thinking about how, how many times that's written a haunted house uh, novel. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because this, this story that you read was a, kind of about a haunted house too. But right. um, I'd, I'd written this manuscript, and I'd I decided I was going to you know involve all the all the tropes that I could. So um, the one that really stuck out for me when I was reading was Hell House uh, by Richard Matheson, and oh my goodness, was it ever good? Yeah, it's um, a definitely good work. 
It's oh, it was terrifying. It was awesome, just awesome. But then uh, there was some other things there. Um, I don't know. I've read I read quite a bit that I, I really like. I I think that's that's a that's something that uh, benefits me is that I, I do like a lot of what I'm reading, and it makes it uh, easier for me. That's the whole purpose, I think, of of why we are so attracted to stories and storytelling and horror is just the the entertainment factor and, you know, seeing ourselves in it. And, um, you know, hopefully as a writer, you you read something, you're like, you know, I could do a better version of this type of thing, you know? Yeah, I I, that that happens sometimes. And it actually can depending on how the month's going, you might you get going one way or the other, you know, you're thinking I could do a lot better than this. What the hell? And then. You know, other times you're just thinking, ah, I would have gone this way with it. But Right. So what rituals do you have when you're writing? You say you write pretty much all day long. Is there, so I, it, it obviously you're treating it like a job. Is there a certain routine that you go through to kind of get yourself in the mindset and, and, you know, stepping away from it to come back with fresh ideas? How does that usually work for you? Actually, I kind of, I don't, um, what I do is I get up and I, I dress and get my coffee and breakfast. And then I just sit down and I, I work as long as anything's happening. So, mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes I'll force it and then I'll come back the next day and I'll erase a bunch of what I wrote or I'll erase it, you know, once I get back to the editing stage. But usually usually it's uh, around four or five hours as soon as I get up every day. And then I'll read for somewhere between two and four hours at nighttime. I've kind of, I've kind of cut off most of, most of my social life and, and things like that just to really focus here. Yeah. For the last few years. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're being very productive and you're really kind of getting to know what your voice is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gone. Um, it's gone fairly well lately. I think it's, it's starting to to pick up for me. So. Excellent. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, the novel that's coming out and uh, any other work that you have going on that you'd like people to know about if they enjoyed today's story. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll start with the, the sh- short stuff. I wrote myself a little little list because it's actually been a fairly busy little while here. Excellent. Um, just last week I had a story come out in uh, uh, Nine Tales. It's a it's a digital um, magazine, and 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 then uh, today. I had a story that actually came out that it took me years to finally figure out how it was to be written and how it went and then finally packaged together properly. And that was in Wolves magazine. So it's called Stuart Spring. I'm, I really enjoyed that story. Um, Devilfish Review, I have a story coming out in this month. Uh, it's called We All Want the Same. Um, Literary Hatchet, I have a story coming out next week, I believe it's supposed to be out. Uh, it's called Under the Bed. It's it's a literal monster story about a monster under the bed. Nice. Um, and then at the end of the month, I have a, a story in SQ Mag um, called Against the Grain. So hopefully, hopefully I'm doing enough to uh, keep all the editors and everybody out there happy <laughs> that uh, they accepted my work. Nice. Yeah, and that's a great thing with, you know, I mean uh... – with today's story, if folks are, are are hungry for more, you definitely have quite a bit that they can pick from too. So yeah, and this is this is all in the, the last month here, just because. Well, you know what? You, honestly, you couldn't have picked a, a better time to to decide to talk to me. I mean, I'm in a good <laughs> mood having all these things going right and stuff. Uh, Excellent. And also, and also, just to make sure I get enough talking in, uh, Tro Trap is the is the novel that's coming out. Um, um, 
from Black Rose uh, as the publisher. They're out of uh, Texas, I believe. I couldn't get much further from from home there either, way up north here in Canada. <laughs> That's um, kind of neat. So uh, that that one's coming out, and uh, I wrote it uh, a few years ago, and it took a long time um, for me because it, it definitely does. It looks only about a skeleton of of how it did the first, you know, four times I wrote it before I finally, you know, recently rewrote it and sent it out. And, and it was looking the way it should look, which is I've come to learn is, is the big thing. Yeah. Um, you get, you get really anxious after you finish something and go through it. And then you start sending it out. And every time you get it back, you're a little annoyed that it came back. Uh, if somebody doesn't like a story or whatever, but whenever you, you go back through it, you're kind of like, Oh, well, now that I'm rereading, it kind of makes sense. I, I missed this or that, or this could be better. So I think I think Tro Trap uh, uh, that story finally came together, and I sent it out and at the right time to the right person, and and now it's coming out uh, on May nineteenth. Well, congratulations! Yeah, yeah. So it should be good. I'm I'm working uh, on uh, another uh, novel. I've been talking to somebody, uh, uh, an editor, about with. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, <laughs> you know. It seems like such a fickle, a fickle life. I've I've written so many now um, novels. I think um, I have I have six that have are in the trunk as as it is over the last three years. So I kind of I'm kind of swimming through them now and rewriting them and 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 finding homes for them, which is it's starting to come. So that's good. That's really cool. And you know that's that's actually something that. Uh... It's kind of encouraging, I guess, because we have a lot of folks that listen to the show that are, you know, just fans of the genre. They they listen to be entertained. But there's also a lot of folks that listen that are writers or aspiring writers. And, you know, I think that's really important that people realize because it can definitely be very frustrating. A short story, but especially a long work like a novel when you've worked through it or you've gotten three quarters of the way through and you're just like, oh, my God, what do I do with this? You know, it's it's always encouraging, I think, to hear from someone who has finished them and had some success that, you know, I I had to rewrite it four times. I had to rewrite it three times. I had to rewrite it six times, you know, that whenever you get to the end of that long marathon, you're just like, I'm exhausted. But here we go again. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Like you're feeling if you're I find with me, if I'm feeling an especially uh, annoyed mood by by some emails I've received or, or something involving it. And I I'm, you know, I feel like I'm drowning wherever this story might be going. It just go take a nap and, and come back at it. And you're going to you'll feel definitely better about it. Just yeah. even even if you have to delete half a half a novel, I've I've actually written two novels that. Uh, when I went back to edit them, I was just like, you know what? That was just uh, filling time. <laughs> and they found the, the the garbage box and, and I started something else. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So where can folks find your work and where can they interact with you if they want to ask you questions or, you know, say they loved your story? Uh, well, my website is www.sldixon.ca. Um and then on Twitter, I'm SL Dixon writer. Uh, I don't have a Facebook page or anything. It's, um, that's about, that's about it. Uh, I've been in lots of publications over the last, uh, three years. So 
So it's all on my website there. Uh, That's perfect. All right, man. Well, I know it's it's Friday, and um, you said you're still it's still middle of the day for you. I'm I'm, I'm East Coast, so it's almost seven o'clock here. So it's definitely beer thirty. But uh, I want to thank you very much for for taking the time to to sit down and talk with me, and you know, and giving me the opportunity to share your story with the listeners. I know it's something they're going to love. I'm 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 ex- I'm I'm happy you liked it, and uh, I'm excited to. Uh, you know, push it on everybody I know. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll make that easy for you. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading was performed by Daniel Foytek. That's me. The voice of the librarian was performed by Nelson W. Piles. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rosick and performed by Novus. This episode of the Wicked Library featured a custom score by Nico Viteze. Some of the incidental music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and used with his permission. Check the show notes for titles and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com Producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and creator, Nelson W. Piles. Music director, Nico Viteze. Art director, Stephen Matico. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash 625. Until next time, this has been Daniel Foytek. Go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it a lot easier to get down the stairs to the basement. Societies rise and... Societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen. The M Writing Podcast.